All right, Genesis chapter 4. We've got just two messages left on our anger, our heart of anger series. And we're going to be in this idea today that you might think, duh. Like, come on, Nick, duh. But I don't know. And why I would say I don't know is I think if we're honest with ourselves, we fall into this camp that I'm about to talk about when it comes to the subject of anger more than we'd like to admit or acknowledge. Today we're going to talk about the subject matter of anger at God. Can you be angry at God? So we're going to go over to Genesis chapter 4 and we're going to camp out there mainly. We may go over to Jonah, maybe not, we'll see. It's in my notes, but I feel like that part's going to be cut today. But I will tell you this, what you're going to find is we have a great example in Genesis 4 of what does it look like when a person gives themselves over to anger at God? What does it look like in their life? What does it reflect? Now, if you've been around the Christian world, the and I would call really like silly pop psychology, right? There's this idea that you'll get told sometimes by counselors of you can be angry at God. He's a big boy. He can take it, right? You hear that kind of language. I want to encourage you. If you ever go to a counselor and they say something like that, please walk out from that counselor, right? Leave and just pay the prorated rate for whatever two minutes you were there. But, but don't go back to that counselor. There is never a justification in the scripture of being angry at God and that being justified. At the end, I will share with you, there is a such thing as what we would call holy lamenting. Totally different. They're holy lamenting. That's where you go, this is hurtful, this is painful, God. But now I look at your character. I trust you. You're in control. You're wise. You're loving. So there can be that. There can be that. You see in the Psalms the idea of, like, where are you, God? Where are you, God? And then the next breath is, you are over the seas. You are in control. I mean, like, so there's a holy lamenting. That's okay. That's right and appropriate. We see that. We see whole Psalms. We have a whole book of lamentation. If Actually, several years ago, I preached through the book of lamentation, right? It was a very lamentous time. All right, we've got so much in the scriptures for holy lamenting. But right now, I want to focus on this aspect of anger at God. Can we be angry at God? And the answer is easy. It's a no. You can't. You can't imagine your pillow being God and punching it, thinking, well, I've just got to get my frustrations out at what God has done. Or we can't justify a yelling and accusing of God's character, of him being unfair, or of God being evil. We can't even accuse God that when bad things happen in our life that aren't a result of like our direct sin, but bad circumstances of life, such as you get a diagnosis that is not good, that we can shake our fists at God and say, like, how dare you? Can't do that. Now we can, in that moment, acknowledge and say to the Lord, this hurts. I'm fearful. Lord, I know that you are good, you're wise, you're loving. The work of the cross has showed me otherwise. So, you know, there's this holy lamenting. And then we're going to come to that here at the end. I just want to throw that at the front side so you don't think that we're not trying to look at the totality of Scripture But we cannot be accusatory towards God. We cannot be angry towards God. There's no such thing as righteous anger towards God. 
And the reason there's no such thing as righteous anger towards God, only sinful anger towards God, because there's nothing unrighteous about God. There's nothing evil about his way. There's nothing sinful about his way. All that he does is right. There's a guy in Genesis chapter 4 that we're all familiar with, a guy named Cain. And, and I mean, right off the get-go, if you thought, if we thought people were good people, I'm talking Genesis 3, we have the fall. Genesis 4, we got problems. And not only that, the very first procreated person, right? How far? And what is the very first created person as a result of the fall struggle with? Anger. Particularly, I would say this. Anger first at God, and then that anger led him in another direction. And if you know the story, it's, it's, and it's not even this thing of, you know, sometimes you can kind of go like, man, I can see how people get angry. I mean, like, man, my wife and I, man, we just argue all the time. Like, I can see this. But in the text, you don't even see that from Abel, right? Here's a guy who's angry at God, and his anger of the heart makes its way to the outside, even so much that he goes after somebody who had nothing to do with it. There was no provoking. That's what anger at God does. Anger at God is a cancer to our souls. And there, it's very, I mean, God's commandment, the Ten Commandments in this, the Great Commandment, it's love God and do what? Love others. Because there's a direct link between loving the Creator and loving His creation. If there is not a proper love for the Creator, there will not be a proper love for creation. If there is an anger at the Creator, there will be an anger at His creation, regardless of what the creation does. I'm, I'm telling you, the, cre- the creation could do nothing wrong to you, but yet you'll still see them as the enemy because they inconvenience you or maybe they didn't agree with your line of reasoning or your thought. It happens all the time. So we have anger at God. What happens when that is let loose, when that is nurtured, when that is coddled? Let's take a look at it. Genesis chapter 4. And what I'll do is I want to read the text of Scripture of Genesis 4. And then we'll turn to it just a couple of passages to give you the whole scope of what the Bible says about Cain. Right? Like in the New Testament. Because that's how we translate. the That's how we interpret the Bible. Scripture with Scripture. Uh, you know. Because I don't. Some people read this for the first time and go. You know what? God was just way too hard on Cain. Bless Cain's heart. You know. I mean, the guy, man, he grew some vegetables and, you know, he gave him the Lord. And, man, Cain's just a misunderstood guy. Well, we'll look at, that's actually not true. But let's take a look at it. It says in chapter 4, verse 1, in fact, let's do this. Let's just stand. This is our main text and reverence the reading of God's word. It says in chapter 4, verse 1, Now the man knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man with the help of Yahweh. And again, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Abel was a keeper of the flocks, but Cain was a cultivator of the ground. So what happened in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to Yahweh of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and their fat portions. And Yahweh had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. And Yahweh said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? 
If you do well, will you not? Well, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? If you do not well, sin is lying at the door and its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Then Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and it happened that when they were in the field and Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and he killed him. Yahweh said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. Let's ask God's help with this text. Um, We need your help to capture what is meant to be understood by the original recipients. Let us make the right applications from that. Let us see the cancer of the soul that anger against God is. Let us see even the ease of which we justify it at times. Let us learn from this. And then let us make our way to the one in Hebrews 12, 24, who speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So help us in this time and for your renown and glory. And God's people said, amen. So there's a lot of people that will kind of look at this text and they'll go, man, God was just a little harsh and overbearing to Cain. If you happen to be that person of that persuasion, hold your place in Genesis chapter 4 and turn over to Jude 1.11. This is an easy one because you just go to the very back of your Bible, right before Revelation. Jude. In Jude 11, speaking of speaking of a um, of lawlessness, it throws. I mean, there's lots of. I mean, we, you could go further if you're reading more, but just looking at verse 11, woe to them, for they have gone the way of. Hey, let me just give you a little bit more. Um, let's just look at verse eight, so we have a little bit of context. Yet in the same way, these men also by dreaming, defiling the flesh and reject authority, blasphemy glorious ones. But Michael, the archangel, when he disputing with the devil was arguing about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these men blasphemy the things that they do not understand, the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals by the things that they're destroyed. So we're, we're having a conversation in Jude about those far from the Lord those who walk in disobedience. And Cain is given an example in verse 11. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they poured themselves out in the air of Balaam. But for gain, but for they have gone the way of Cain. So I want you to know from the outset, and go ahead and turn to 1 John 3.12 now, which is just the next book over, next couple of books over. We'll make this easy flip. Already there's this idea that, oh, Cain, he just misunderstood. No, actually, he, he, was a, he was an evil man. He was an evil man. And it was only a matter of time before the evilness of his heart was reflected. And the evilness of his heart was easily seen in how angry he was at God. Now, you look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 12. It says this, For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. 
For that reason, and what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Not even the satisfaction of, well, Abel did have a smart mouth. It's the, no, he's of the evil one. He's evil. His brothers were righteous. So we're not dealing with a good guy here. So just so I just want you to kind of lay on the floor. Don't kind of go like, oh, well, I think God misunderstood Cain. No, Cain was evil. He was wretched. He was a bad guy. He would be someone who would be descriptive of someone not in the faith. See, if you go over to Hebrews 11, now turn to the left, turn again. You go just a couple books over and you go now to Hebrews 11. And you see a big contrast between Cain and Abel. It says in chapter 11, and we'll look at verse 1 and 2 and go to 3 and 4. It says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. Just so you understand. They were saved in the Old Testament by looking forward to the cross, like we're saved by looking back to the cross. Cain is a man not of faith, of the evil one. If you're not of faith, you're of the evil one, right? You either worship the Lord God or you worship yourself and Satan. Like, that's it. That's how it really is. I know that sounds so extreme, but that's the, that's, that's the, two, that's the two ditches there. That's the two pendulums. So he comes in here, and he's not a description of someone with faith. He would not be faith. Look at verse 3. By faith we understand the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that were visible. Now go to verse 4. By faith, Abel, offer to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he was approved as being righteous. God approving his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By the way, just a side note, Abel is still alive. His faith in the cross to come, as murky as the details of what he had, his faith was for salvation, just like our faith in the past. But what I want you to understand is, Abel was a man of faith. He was a man that, with the right heart and the right obedience, offered the sacrifice, and with the right heart, what was right, and God accepted it. Cain did not, and Cain knew better. Back over to Genesis 4. So I just want to paint the picture to you. And the Sally scripture, there's no reason to have a bleeding heart for this guy, Cain. He was a murderer. He was an evil one. He was not a man of faith. And when a person is not of faith, I fear for your soul. Because if Jesus is not your Lord, of, Lord and King, it is easy to be overcome with the wiles of the devil waiting to pounce on you. It is easy to be overcome by the sinful flesh. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, there's a reason that we get in Genesis 4 and right off the bat, the first sin we're dealing with is murder. It's because when an unbeliever does not have Jesus, they are subject to anger at God that will eventually produce the most horrific circumstances in their life. And right off the bat, I'm talking right off the bat. You can't, and by the way, you can't sit there and go like, well, it was the people he went to school with. (laughs) He was the first, right? All he had was his brother who was a believer. This is not a good guy. You can see it reflected. So let's go back over to Genesis chapter 4. Let's work through the text now that you have kind of a background, and let's work through this idea of anger at God. You cannot be angry at God. There's no justification for that. We can never do that. Going out into the field in frustration and cursing God and 
Cursing God and accusing his character is not something that is ever legitimate to do. And I would be, I would be scared for us to do such things as that would be a reflection of our heart. And where our heart is, the rest of our actions will be someday. We discover in Matthew 5 that God is concerned with murder of the heart. God does not wink at it. We see in 1 Samuel chapter 16 that God is concerned with the heart in relation to King David. Now let's work through it. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now the man knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain, and she said, I've gotten a man with the help of, of Yahweh. Just a side note, the Messiah was promised in chapter 3. So as far as they knew, this was the solution. It wasn't the solution, but as far as they knew. And again, she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the flocks, but Cain was a cultivator of the ground. On a flat surface, neither are bad. I mean, you know, a cultivator of the ground. We need farmers, all right? I'm, I'm pro-farmer, like farmers. I really like people that raise meat, though, right? Maybe I should cut that out a little bit, but, you know, more vegetables, less meat. I've heard that's a good thing. I'm not so sure. Verse 3. So it happened in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to Yahweh of the fruit of the ground. I want you to understand this offering that was brought. Offerings of of vegetation is not a wrong and sinful thing. We see that in the Mosaic Law. We see grain offerings. So that's intrinsically not a wrong thing. But what we do find here is, oh, God doesn't give us everything that he said and done. You understand that, right? We don't get all the details. This is already a pretty thick book. It'd be a really thick book if we knew every microscopic detail. But it's apparent that God had given them some kind of instruction on what the kind of sacrifice that was needed. What kind of atoning sacrifice was needed. And it's not like it was lost. Don't we have Adam and Eve, right, in the garden, tried to cover themselves with their own vegetation? And God comes in and slays an animal and covers them, showing symbolic of the sacrifice of an innocent animal, a blood sacrifice that would one day point to the ultimate sacrifice of Christ. So they are aware... And Adam and Eve have taught, they are aware that there's a blood sacrifice that needs to happen. Many commentators would say that's, it's, it's really that he, he knows the type of sacrifice to bring, but he doesn't bring that kind of sacrifice. And why is that? Because Cain is symbolic of, is, is Cain is someone who's of the evil one, the New Testament says. Someone that's not of faith says, I don't really care, God. Like, it's my way. I know you have a way, God, but your way's not the right way. My way's the right way. And everything would be right, God, if you just get in line with what I want. That's the heart of an angry person. So it says that in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to Yahweh of the fruit of the ground. So right now it seems pretty sanitized. But behind, it's not sanitized at all. There is an angry, murderous heart towards the Lord and the offering that he brought in verse 3. But we'll see it manifested more. Verse 4. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and their fat portions. And Yahweh had regard for Abel and his offering. It's apparent that Abel brought the right offering, but also he had the right heart. He's a man of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. He was making an offering, looking forward to the finished work of Christ. Although, yes, he didn't know, he did, he, I mean, he didn't know all that we know on this side of the cross but as murky as, as it might have been to him, 
There was faith in the promise of Genesis 3.16. And he offered the right sacrifice. He did what was told. His heart was right with it. It was pure before the Lord. God said, well done, Abel. Great. Abel was a man not given to anger at God. And you see it reflected in not only his obedience to what he gave, but the heart of faith of which he gave it. But that's not the central character of our story, is it? So it says in verse 5, But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. Here's the thing. Sometimes you don't really know what's in your heart till you get squeezed. I mean, really, that's why sometimes the things that God puts us in in life is actually for our good to know what's kind of there. There's been so many times in life where I wasn't aware of the idols of the heart till that idol got squeezed. So don't think that every negative thing in life that God is evil, because really God in his kindness might be squeezing us in the moment so that we would have an understanding of what's actually there. Because when we get squeezed, what's at the heart actually comes out. So Cain gets squeezed. What's already there? The evil one, a man of no faith, a man that in pride is stiff necked towards the Lord. And all it took was for the right situation for this to manifest itself. In verse five, we have it. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So now we see the manifestation of Cain's getting squeezed. So Cain became not just angry, but the text says what? Very angry. Ever been there? Very angry, right? Where it's kind of like, I know, y'all know nothing about this. But you ever get to that point of anger where it's kind of like, you know, you even know what's wrong in the moment. By the way, I'm not accusing Cain of even having that. I'm just trying to make an application for us in Christ. Have you ever been in that situation of such extreme anger? It's like your it's like your whole body is tense, it's heated, and the back of your mind, you know, like this isn't righteous. Matthew seven, I need to look at the log of my own eye, not to speck another. I mean, like, Lord help me. I can I, I can feel this overwhelming me, but it's like I'm giving in to the emotions of the moment. You ever been there? Very angry. That's where he's at. But the problem is he's actually angry at the Lord. He's angry at the Lord. He doesn't like what the Lord said. He doesn't like what the Lord has prescribed. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. So not only is there this emotion of anger at the heart, it makes its way to the outside. Now the interesting thing is Cain's getting squeezed. What an opportunity for him to know that he's now, it's so visceral, it can be seen from the outside. Of course, the great news is God already knew it from the inside. God knows what's at the heart way before. So you come over here and you see that his countenance has fallen. You can tell it's all over his body language. By the way, just a side note of application. You know, thank the Lord um, they didn't have texting back then. But I would say this. There is a way that God has always designed for us to work. And when you get in difficult situations in life, like it, the whole digital means, that's not the way to handle things. you got to get face-to-face. Because sometimes you can read a person's... Like, you can be texting people and be provoking them, and you never knew it because you can never see their countenance. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, and I'll tell you again. Do not handle conflict over that dumb phone. Can I get amen? Do not do that. 
Wait, delay, make another time, make a plea. Now, when you're at a great distance, you may have to talk on phone or, I mean, praise the Lord, we do have some technology. I mean, you've got video, but you're going to miss some things. Now, the good news, that's just an application, not really from the text inspires it, but doesn't give it because God already knew, Cain didn't, but now it's manifest. His countenance has fallen. Anger at the heart has made its way to the outside. And it seems so sanitary at this point. But you feed that monster, it wants more. So you keep looking at verse 6. Then Yahweh said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? What a beautiful thing God did here. He calls into question his anger. It's not like God didn't know this. When God asks questions, it's not because God doesn't have all the information. God is asking this question because he's trying to bring him to repentance. He's asking this question because he wants him to do some heart examination. As I hope you learned in this series that the next time any of us feel the emotion of anger, the question we need to ask ourselves is, why am I angry? Am I angry about something done to God and somebody else? Or am I angry about something done to me? Remember us talking about that earlier in the series? If the first answer is really me, you already got to start directing your heart to a posture of repentance in the sense that this anger could really be about me, my self-exaltation and my own glory. Righteous anger in the scripture is when you're angry about something done to God and other people and you have a righteous response. So he tells him and says, hey, ask, why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? So great of the Lord to do that. So kind of him. For those of you and us that may think, man, God in the Old Testament was just this junior high God that was just kind of mad and capricious at times, and he kind of grew up and got graceful in the New Testament. No, here's the evil one with no faith. Bold face from the heart. I don't like what you prescribe, Lord. And God gives him an opportunity and says, why are you angry? Why are you angry? Can't accuse God of not being slow to judgment, of being long-suffering. So look at verse 7. God gives him instruction. By the way, just another thing that I just want you to understand. If you ever, if you ever go to a counselor and your counselor never gives you instruction, right? Every, everything you do at your counselor is this idea of what do you think? Well, what do you think? Well, what do you think? And you don't ever get instruction from God's word like this is what God's word says. Do this. Leave that counselor, right? Pay the prorated, whatever it is. Go find someone that will actually give you instruction. Because look what God does in verse 6. Verse 7, I'm sorry. God instructs him. God doesn't just go, oh, Cain, you're you're so good at heart. You're so naturally good. No, he has a fallen human sinful nature from his parents, Adam and Eve, from Genesis chapter 3. And not only does he call to it, not only does he, does he say, why are you angry? Why? But he just doesn't leave it at that. He says, also, let me instruct you. So here's what happens. The Lord says, if you do well, will, you not, will your countenance not be lifted up? And if you do not well, sin is lying at the door. It's desires for you, but you shall rule over it. Now, take a look at verse 7. It's very interesting. If you do well... Will not your countenance be lifted? Now, there's this thing that people say sometimes is, God only, God doesn't want your begrudging submission. And I believe that. He wants the heart. But I will tell you this. 
God will not be dissatisfied with you doing the outward obedient things. He doesn't want you to stay there at that. It's a both and. Sometimes you'll hear people go, well, God wants a heart transformation before we ever do the action. And I would say, no, actually God wants a both and. The heart transformation inspires the long-term longevity and joy and glory in God for the action, but it's okay to start doing the action, right? So if, if you're angry at the heart at your spouse and you're just like, well, I'm not going to talk good to them until my heart's changed, that's not a good approach, right? Go ahead and start practicing the outward talk well, And then know that every time it's hard, it's another dagger at the depravity of your soul. It's another opportunity to visit the log in your own eye. And God changes the heart and the action at the outside. In fact, sometimes you'll see that as we try to change the action, that God starts to warm the heart as we see God bless that. So God, there's not even a change of heart here yet. God is saying to him, if you do well, will will your countenance not be lifted up? He's saying, if you would do right, if you would offer the right... Won't your countenance, won't the outside be, won't you be lifted up? Now, do know this. When change happens in our life, it's a both and at the same time. God's changing the heart, we're changing the outside. For instance, if you were to look at Ephesians 4, how does a person stop stealing, right? Someone who's stealing, what do they got to do? Just stop stealing? Do we just say to a person who's been stealing, let your heart be warmed and stop stealing? No, what do we do? Start working, start giving. That's the action while God is actually transforming the heart, right? So look at what happens. If you do well, will your countenance not be lifted up? But if you do not well, sin is lying at the door and it's desirous for you, but you must rule over it. He tells him, this anger that you have, it, it wants you, it desires you, it wants to take you, it wants to control you. And the anger that he has in question, it's really not the offering. It's really the God. Who is Cain angry at? He's angry at God. He doesn't like God's rule. He doesn't like God's lordship. He doesn't like what God has said. He doesn't like it. Cain is deci- he is an evil one. He has decided that I am sovereign. I know what's right. I have made the right pathway. And God, if you don't do what I have designed for my life, You're evil, you're bad, there's nothing good about you. He has made his own decision. He's angry at God. And God notices it, warns him of it, points that inwardly there is this desire. Sin is looking for you. It wants you. It is at the door. But I like the end of verse 7. But you must what? What does it say? So he says, Cain, something can be done about this. Like, you don't have to keep going this way. There's the offer of faith. There's the offer of grace. The same offer that Abel availed himself, that same offer was available to Cain. Cain being of the evil one, he could have, he could have reached out. We see here that there's enough extension of God's grace. God says you must rule over it. God gives him an opportunity, but he rejects it. He decides to stew in his anger towards God. Instead of repent, instead of becoming a man of faith, instead of offering the sacrifice that God had called, an offering that would speak towards the coming the coming sacrifice and atonement of this of the Son Jesus. So here we have it. He thinks he's wiser than God, he thinks he's God, won't listen to God. God knew it. He never once considered how depraved he was. 
I mean, this is one of the reasons why you, you don't, people don't come to Christ when they don't really consider their depravity. In Cain's estimation in the text, the most depraved person was God. And that's one of the things when we got the anger, the anger at God, we actually are thinking we're more righteous than God. That our way and our plan is better than God's. We're actually accusing him of some kind of depravity. But it's depravity that we actually have. So look in verse 8. So here's a dividing line in verse 7 through 8. We see in verse, you know, verses 1 through 7, the anger towards God. But here's the thing. Anytime there's anger towards God, you nurture that, you nurture that, you're actually going to express that towards others. And anger towards other people, people aren't the ones making us angry. It, it's us and our rebellion against God. His anger towards God produced an anger towards his brother that culminated in murder. And yes, anger is the heart of murder. Look at verse 8. And Cain spoke to Abel his brother, and it happened that when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. How evil is this guy? So evil that there's not even remorse over it. Then Yahweh said to Cain in verse 9, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Man. Now that's cold-blooded. But here's a man who's evil of no faith because he's angry at God. A man who is angry at God, this is his response. Not a bit of shouldn't have done that. Even you can notice this. And the man who has an anger towards God, look what happens in verse 10. And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. Hold that in your head. We might visit that later. He said, and now curse are you from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Look at verse 12. I, I wasn't going to read this, but just so you... Mm, trying to... Well, I should go into this part or not. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think on the fly. Okay, let's do it. Verse 12. And when you cultivate the ground it will no longer yield its strength to you you will be a vagrant and a wanderer on earth and Cain said to Yahweh my punishment is too great to bear <laughs> really I think it got off pretty easy I think I was really gracious to him but here's a man who's not changed whose anger at God is producing a destruction of his life that even in the moment can't even appreciate what grace is given. When our hearts are not changed, we presume on God's grace. Verse 15. So Yahweh said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And Yahweh appointed a sign for Cain so that no one who found him will strike him. <laughs> didn't he deserve worse? I mean, he didn't, did he deserve that? No way. See how good God is? So, I mean, you can't come to this text and go, oh, poor Cain. He's just a little misunderstood. No, nah, man. That dude was a murderer towards God first, and it infected the rest of his life. How far did it infect it? Keep looking. Then Cain went from the presence of Yahweh, settled in, land, uh, settled, in the, settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. It's on the east coast. That's where all the pagans live. Verse 17. Then Cain knew his wife. And she conceived and gave birth to Enoch. And he built a city and called the, the name of the city Enoch. 
after the name of his son. And kind of keep going down his lineage. And go right here to verse 23. In the lineage of Cain. There's a guy named Lamech. And Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, which, by the way, just side note, first time polygamy is in the scriptures, right? And, and where does it come from? The line of Cain, an angry, murderous line who was so evil, it wasn't even satisfied with God's pattern. It said, I'm going to go ahead and make my own way. I'll even do something that will make my own way is I'm going to go against the mandate of Genesis 2 of one, one man, one woman, one flesh, and, and we're going to kind of do this our way. Side note, God never condoned polygamy in the Old Testament. Bigger discussion, but he didn't. And you can see, now look what happens. Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Give ear to my word, for I have killed a man for striking me and a boy for wounding me. So basically, someone hit him. And he says, and I killed him. He said, and he says, basically, if Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech 77-fold. Basically, Lamech saying, like, you think Cain was bad, buddy? Take a look at me, right? You, you, like, I'm, I'm a worse guy. And what is this? It's the heart of anger that produces a life of destruction, even for its future, even for the future posterity. The anger at God that we think we're justified in, it's infecting everything. It'll infect your relationship with God. It'll affect your family. It'll affect your future. It is a corrupting influence. So can we be angry at God? No, we can't. Let's do this as we finish our time. Take a look at Job. And I might, I might have to squeeze this next part in. Actually, I'm thinking on the fly here. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this in our last message next week. So skip Job. We'll come back to that. Go to Hebrews chapter 12 as we end this. Y'all okay? Y'all still awake, alive? Angry? <clears throat> Go to verse 24. Hebrews 12, 24. So if I kind of end my comments, I just want you to understand. No justification. Today's a great day to repent of that anger towards the Lord. There's nothing that's happening in our lives that we have a right to shake our fists at the God of heaven. Everything God does is right. His character is right. His love is right. His grace is right. And the one thing that you have to keep going back to is the gospel. That's why we keep coming to church. We keep telling people about the gospel. Every time I share the gospel, I'm reminding myself of the gospel. It's not just, I mean, I'm a fellow participant. When we take communion here over our meal in just a little bit, I'm remembering the gospel. Because there's something, the gospel does something. It changes us. See, the, the word to, to, to Cain was judgment, Right? But yet Jesus came and spoke a better word. And even notice that you see traces of grace in the fact that Cain didn't get near what he actually deserved. And I love what Hebrews 12, 24 says this. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, 
into the sprinkling of blood, which speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So Cain, you know why he didn't get what he truly deserved? Because he deserved worse, right? He didn't get what he deserved because there was coming someone who would get all that Cain deserved. God's grace that he pours out in the Old Testament is just pointing forward to the one who would actually absorb all the sins in the New Testament. There, Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Jesus speaks mercy and grace, not because God doesn't care about the sin that's happened, because God has said, I will satisfy that in myself. This is why I can tell you, we can never actually be angry at God and be justified in it, because he's taken even greater on himself. Let's stand to our feet and have a time of praying and singing to the Lord and continuing on as we'll have a meal and we'll edify each other and we'll take communion and remember, remember Jesus. Jesus, who speaks a better word than vengeance, speaks grace. Father, we need your help. We need it. We will... (laughs) What is stopping us from, our, from forgiving others is our view of you. Thank you that we can forgive. We can die to this idea of anger towards God because all of God's wrath has been satisfied on the Son. Let us be extensions of what we have experienced. Let our taking of communion today remind us. Let our conversations remind us. And if someone has not come and trusted in the fa- in the finish the work of the cross. May this be their day. Otherwise, they're headed for a life of Cain. Bless our time as we sing back to you in Jesus' name. Amen.